Susanna Bateman tells this true story to illustrate the power of words. There's a 50-year-old man named Steve who loves music, yet Steve rarely plays anything he likes. He never sings loudly in the car when an old favorite song comes on. In fact, Steve attends his church regularly, but he never sings. He just mouths the words. Steve has lived the last 40 years of his life not enjoying something he once loved. This sounds strange, I know. The reason Steve has lived this way is sad, but true. You see, when Steve was 10 years old, he was in music class and was having the time of his life. He wasn't a great singer, but he was in the choir and he was enjoying himself, learning and growing with every note. One day, the teacher decided to tell Steve what she thought of his singing voice. His teacher didn't choose words that would build and encourage Steve. Rather, she used words that put Steve and his love for music in a box with a lid. From that day on, Steve turned down his volume, and he has never been able to enjoy music again. The words she spoke to a 10-year-old boy, you don't sing very well, have echoed in his mind for 40 years, and sadly, the music that played so loudly within this vibrant, eager 10-year-old boy shut down that day. Steve was silenced by words. My friends, words are important, whether written or spoken. In fact, they are so important for how we relate to one another and how we reflect Christ's likeness that there are plenty of admonitions and reminders like James chapter 3 about our speech and the use of words all throughout the Bible. But we want to focus our attention on what the book of Proverbs has to say about our words as we continue our sermon series, Foolproof a guide to wise living, studying the book of Proverbs. We will be drawing out four biblical principles for how we are to use our words. In this message, when I refer to words, I speak of both the spoken and written forms, but the primary context will be dealing with spoken words. However, in this age of social media, emails, messaging apps, texting, and instant and direct messaging, the principles can just as easily be applied to the written word. Now let's explore the book of Proverbs together and see what it has to teach us about the words we use. I think it's important, first of all, to be reminded of the power of our words. Turn to me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The Bible tells us in very graphic terms that words are powerful, that it can cause life and death. Of course, this is figurative language. While words may lead to literal death, such as in the case of heated words escalating into a lethal fight, this proverb is saying that words have consequences, both good and bad. Words can be used for good or evil. In fact, it is the power to encourage or discourage. It is the power to heal or to hurt. Look at two more proverbs that speak of this. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. And then a few verses down, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. Proverbs 12, verse 25. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Here the Bible tells us that words can encourage the heart and heal the soul. My friends, try to remember a time when you were feeling down and sad, 
but then you received a kind written word of encouragement which brightened your day. Or when you were feeling insignificant, uncared for, and underappreciated at your workplace. But then your boss walks by your work desk and tells you, you're doing a great job, keep it up. Your work is of vital importance and you are valued in the company. For sure, your heart would be picked up. Or when the girl or guy that you have a crush on and whom you admire simply says hi and asks you how you're doing, you would be on cloud nine for the rest of the day when you hear that hello and you would quickly tell all of your friends, he said hi. That is the power of words to heal and encourage. You see, even the secular world, the business and medical communities acknowledge the power of words. For example, Dr. Leonard Berry writes, most recently, I've been investigating service improvement in cancer care in my role as an IHI, or Institute for Healthcare Improvement, senior fellow. One of many light bulb moments for me in this research was when Dr. Peter Eisenberg, founder of Marion Cancer Care, said, I would never tell a patient there's nothing left for us to do. Patients may have an incurable disease, but there's always something to do. I tell them that even though we're not treating with aggressive therapy, he or she is still my patient. Patients need to know they're not being abandoned. Dr. Eisenberg got me thinking about the humanic clues of never words in cancer care. And I began asking clinicians in interviews to identify certain words or phrases they would never use with a cancer patient. Every clinician I asked this question had at least one. Here are some examples. They would never say, let's not concern ourselves about that now. Just, as in we can continue treatment or we can just do supportive care. This is a bad cancer. Why did you wait so long to come in? You're lucky. It's only stage two. You failed chemo. Terminal. A hospice social worker I never you told me, Cancer strips people of self-confidence. They lose what they once were. An oncologist offered this wisdom. Healing conversations are part of the healing process. Clinicians' words are high-potency humanic clues. Too often, clinicians unintentionally use words with patients that harm rather than heal, that evoke distress rather than trust. Investing time with clinical groups to discuss their never words and to commit to banishing their use is an investment worth making if we're serious about reducing emotional harm. As you can see, words are powerful. From these Proverbs, we can draw out our first biblical principle, use of words, number one. The power of words is such that it can hurt or heal. The power of words is such that it can hurt or heal. My friends, do you want to be a blessing to others with your words? Or do you want to hurt them deeply? You know, I remember a few months ago, we had our high school retreat at Word of Life in Laguna. To be honest, I was a bit apprehensive to speak to high schoolers because I had not done so face-to-face -face in over two and a half years. Would they laugh at my jokes? Would they pay attention? Could I still connect with them? I started to feel a bit insecure because even though I'm only 45 years old, these high schoolers were 12 to 18 years old, about one to one and a half generations away from me. And after I spoke, I didn't hear much feedback until I received a note from a high schooler which just blessed me. With her permission to share, I share this note with you. Dear Pastor Steve, she wrote, Hello. 
Thank you so much for the amazing message you taught us last night. I laughed, I learned, and I cried. I truly admire you, and every time I hear you speak, I feel happy knowing that Andrew has a kind, loving, mature, and intelligent father. I was so happy to hear you preach so much that it stung. I'm so blessed to know you and to be part of this beautiful community. Thank you again. God bless. You get a note like that, and you just feel great. I felt affirmed. I could still connect with high schoolers. I'm not that old. Oh, the power of words to hurt or to heal, to encourage or to discourage, for good or bad, for life or for death. The next area we want to explore is the content of our words, both spoken and written. It's clear throughout the scriptures that the content of our words must first and foremost be truthful. As a God of holiness and truth, he expects that the words of his followers are also truthful. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 17 tells us things that God hates. And in verse 17, it clearly states, God hates a lying tongue. Look also at what Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22 says. Proverbs 12, verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are His delight. It's pretty clear that God hates untruthful words, and He values and delights when truth is spoken. So we desire to honor the Lord with our words, that what we say and write must be truthful. Therefore, simply put, if it isn't true, don't speak it. If it isn't true, don't write it. Perhaps you may be caught into a situation where you're asked a question, but if you answer truthfully, it will deeply offend. But you don't want to lie. What do you do? Well, remember, it's okay not to say anything. It's okay to change the subject, to use humor to deflect, or answer partially, but not lie. We'll explore this in a bit. But let's talk briefly about flattery as it relates to the content of our words. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 26, verse 28. Proverbs 26, verse 28. A lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Notice how flattery is equated with a lying tongue. That means when you flatter and it is untrue, it is the same as lying, which is an abomination to the Lord. Now I realize that sometimes the truth hurts. And that's why in English there is that phrase, painfully honest. But the Bible reminds us we are to speak the truth always, even when it is painful to hear, and to do so with love and grace. Flattery only to curry the favor of someone else or to have them like you does not do anyone any favors. In fact, not only is it a lie when untrue, it is detrimental to the hearer. For example, if someone asks you if their painting is nice, but you don't think it's really good, there are other ways to tell them the truth without lying. You can say, your use of vibrant colors is compelling, or you've improved greatly since your last painting. Keep on working at it. Or if someone asks you how their cooking is, and it wasn't very tasty, you can say, I appreciate the work and effort you put into cooking it. It was eaten with love. Or your food certainly has unique flavors, but perhaps you can try adding this spice to enhance it the next time. You are not lying or flattering or discouraging them, but your honest words will encourage that person 
to work harder to improve. You know, in my early days as a pastor, and honestly, even today, my fiercest critic is my mom. She gives me encouraging feedback, but she is very honest in her assessment. She would tell me, Steve, you spoke too fast. You use words I don't understand. I don't get your point. I know her comments come from a loving heart and has spurred me on to improve my preaching. This is what Proverbs chapter 28, verse 23 says. Proverbs 28, verse 23. He who rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with the tongue. In the long run, it will be better for a person to be corrected than to simply hear flattering words. For example, if your child is learning how to swim and his swim strokes are wrong, but your child is happy, splashing in the water, staying afloat in the water, it would be best for you to correct them to learn how to swim properly. They may not be happy with it, but in the long run, it will be beneficial for them. It would be the same for someone using the wrong technique, playing the piano or the violin. Instead of flattery, tell them the truth. It will be for their best. Of course, it is vitally important to encourage them, but encouragement and flattery are different. May I also note that if you are asking people how you're doing simply to fish for compliments or gaining their approval, you are doing yourself a huge disservice because what they tell you may not help you improve or identify your blind spots. If you genuinely want to know how you can improve, then you should humbly be ready to listen and hear their unbiased answers and should not be offended when they tell you the truth. I've met people who ask me for advice and what my honest assessment of something, and when I give it, they get angry and upset with me because they were actually fishing for compliments and seeking my approval, but instead, they didn't expect my honest opinion. Flattery does no one any good. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 5, also warns us about those who flatter. Proverbs 29, verse 5, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. This proverb tells us that those flattering are often spreading a net to trap the one being flattered. The listener will be enticed with the nice words and drawn to a deceitful person or into that person's sinful world. Thus, the trap is laid for capture. My friends, while we all like to hear flattering words, we risk losing our money, our purity, our integrity, our families, our convictions, and lose out on many other things when we fall into the trap of flattering words. Be careful when people only say good things to you. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6 adds these words. Proverbs 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. This proverb reminds us that sometimes words can be used to correct, which is a good thing. But don't get caught up in the niceties of sweet words which come in the form of flattery, as they may really come from enemies, because flattery is often used to gain leverage over someone else for selfish personal gain. My friends, again, be careful with flattery's appeal. When you keep hearing how wonderful and how great you are, you may actually believe it, never addressing your blind spots, or like Pavlov's dogs, only do things for positive affirmations. 
this will sadly lead to your downfall as you will not be keen to hear truthful, constructive criticism, which is for your own good. When it comes to content of words, we also have to address the subject of slander and gossip. The book of Proverbs is replete with divine reminders about this matter. Look at Proverbs chapter 11, verse 13. Proverbs 11, verse 13. A talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. This proverb tells us that someone who gossips betrays confidence and trust placed in him, which is wrong because you've made a promise not to tell. On the other hand, a trustworthy person keeps a secret. This proverb is a great reminder that if you can't keep a secret, then tell the person who's about to tell you something confidential not to tell you or tell them that you can't guarantee confidence. And if you tell someone you will keep it in confidence, then you should do so. Sadly, in our culture, if you tell someone, I will tell you something, but you have to promise not to tell anyone, chances are they will tell someone else. So if you want to keep something secret, then keep it to yourself unless you really trust that person. Regarding gossip, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 28 tells us, Proverbs 16, 28, a perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. This is a reminder that there are people who like to stir up issues with their gossip and slander. They like to create issues or spread issues which will result in the separation of even the closest of friends. That's why we should not entertain gossip, but must fact-check everything we hear to make sure it is true or not before we pass it on. If something is untrue, it should stop with us. If we pass on gossip and it is untrue, then we are lying. Remember that old saying? If you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say it at all. Because you can be very, very wrong about the person or the incident. Proverbs 26 verse 20 makes this point clear. Proverbs 26 verse 20. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there's no talebearer, strife ceases. The Bible tells us an issue dies when no one is talking about it, but an issue remains alive and even spreads when people continue to talk about it. So what is it that you will talk about that keeps an issue at the forefront of your mind or the mind of others? Perhaps instead of useless gossip about who is dating whom, it can be about important spiritual things. Perhaps you've heard this story of the impact of gossip. It is a story of a woman in a village who maliciously gossiped about another lady and her family in the village. One day she found out that she was wrong about this lady and her family and had a change of heart. She went to the village's wise man and asked how she could take back all the wrong she had done. The wise man told her to go home and kill her chickens and plucked their feathers and put them in a bag. After this, she was to come back and see the wise men again. But on her way back, she was to scatter all the feathers she had plucked from the chickens. The lady did as she was told. When she came back to the man, he told her, Now go back and pick up all the feathers that you have scattered. The woman was astonished at such a command and said, By now the wind has carried the feathers all throughout the village and beyond. The wise man then told her, And so it is with your careless words. 
They are like the feathers scattered in the wind. You cannot retrieve them back. With that, the woman with a broken heart, because of the words she had spoken, went her way, determined from that day forward to watch her words. On the subject of the content of words, we've talked about lying, flattery, gossip, and slander, which are generally negative in nature. But the content of our words can be positive as well. Positive content can be words of affirmation and encouragement. It can even be words of correction and rebuke, which if said in a gentle and loving manner, is beneficial to help someone be reminded of something or to improve in an area of their life. But remember, what is important in those loving corrections is how you say it. The tone of words is important. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 21 teaches us this. Proverbs 16, 21. The wise in heart will be called prudent, and sweetness of the lips increases learning. Even if you have something to teach and correct, how you say it, how you do it through the sweetness of your lips will allow that lesson to be better learned and accepted. I remember once when correcting one of my children who was young, I got upset and angrily said, this is what you did wrong and this is what you need to do, while tears were streaming down from my child's eyes. But then my wife stepped in and sweetly hugged that child and patiently explained to that child that what they did was wrong and how it made us feel. It took a lot of time explaining to that child in between their sobbing, and I even got impatient. But let me ask you, which style of communicating correction do you think the child will learn from best? I believe it was through Cindy's loving correction. The Bible is clear. Sweetness of the lips increases learning. I recently came across an article, How to Discipline Your Child with Love, from the University of Rochester Medical Center. It says all children need limits to feel safe. Discipline is an important and effective tool, but you need to use it in a way that keeps your child's dignity intact. Discipline is not the same as harsh punishment. It is simply teaching your child which behaviors are okay and which aren't. With the right methods, discipline can be a positive, loving experience. On the other hand, Physical punishment and yelling will only frighten your child and encourage aggression. Here are some tips to help you discipline your child with love. Make corrections about learning rather than getting in trouble. Don't just tell your child not to run around with food in his mouth. Explain why this rule is important. Tell your child that it isn't safe because they could choke and that your job is to help keep them from getting hurt. Make explanations short. Kids tune out long-winded speeches. Speak firmly but kindly. Don't yell, blame, or call your child names to make them understand that you're not happy with their behavior. Use a firm tone, but stay in control. Be calm when you explain why you aren't happy with what they did. Tell them what they should do instead of what they shouldn't. This is hard to remember when you catch your children using the sofa as a trampoline again. But rather than telling your children what they did wrong, tell them what they should have done instead. Here's an example. Use the floor for jumping, please. The couch is for sitting. Set a good example. If your children repeatedly see you doing things such as cursing, leaving dirty dishes on the table, and name-calling, 
you will have a harder time getting them to understand why they should behave differently. Model the behavior you want, and your children will likely follow your lead, at least sometimes. Acknowledge your child's feelings. Your child may be angry and uncooperative because the play date just ended. You can say, I see you're feeling upset because Jack left, but you still need to pick up your train set. Make consequences realistic and stick with them. Don't threaten your children when you're angry. For instance, don't tell your preschooler that if they don't get dressed, they'll have to stay inside all week. Show an immediate consequence, such as taking them to preschool in their pajamas. When you say there will be a consequence to bad behavior, follow through with it so it's not an empty threat. If you don't, your child will know that you don't really mean what you say. Hug your child after using discipline. Make sure your child knows it is the behavior you're not happy with, not your child. Offer praise for a job well done. When your child is doing something well, such as picking up toys without being asked, show your appreciation. Teachers call it catching your child being good. Finally, forgive yourself. Parenting is a tough job, and you're bound to make mistakes. If you yelled at your children for dropping peas in the heating vent, don't beat yourself up. Apologize for losing your temper and start over. Your children will learn how to apologize from your example, and they will learn that parents can get angry at their children and still love them. Now, putting all of these Proverbs together, we have our second biblical principle, use of words number two. The content of our words should be truthful, expressed in love and with grace. The content of our words should be truthful, expressed in love and with grace. The content of what you say can bless or hurt. What will it be? Proverbs 16.24 reminds us, Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Remember these four simple phrases essential to any relationship. I'm sorry. Please. Thank you. I love you. When was the last time you said these words to your spouse, your children, your parents, your in-laws, your friends and family members? I'm sorry. Please. Thank you. I love you. Remember, pleasant words are like a honeycomb sweetness of the soul, and health to the bones. We've talked about the power and the content of words. But another important area regarding words that the book of Proverbs addresses is the timing of our words. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11. Proverbs 25, verse 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. This Proverbs tells us that words that are spoken at the right circumstances and at the right time will be greatly valued, just like golden apples presented on fine silver platter. It is a picture of something that is greatly appreciated and admired. My friends, timing is everything when it comes to words. Just like last week in the middle of the sermon, when the emergency warning for the oncoming super typhoon sounded on many phones, while disrupting the worship services, the warnings came at the right time because you don't want to receive a warning after the typhoon has blown through and when you don't have time to prepare. An announcement that is received late is of no use, like waiting to yell fire when the fire is but a small blaze and only doing so 
when it has engulfed the building, it's too late. Similarly, the timing for giving words of encouragement and truth must be done at the right time and in an appropriate setting. You don't tell someone who has tragically and recently lost a loved one or who has recently experienced a catastrophe losing everything they own, don't worry. Romans 8.28 still holds true. Something good will come out of your tragedy. That would be an inappropriate time to offer up those truth principles. Times like those calls for you to simply sympathize and condole with those who are grieving. While indeed something good will come out of tragedy, and Romans 8.28 is true, there is a time and a place in which to speak those words of truth, and there's a time to keep silent. Also, when you wish to respond with truth, make sure it's not said in anger or wait until you're cooled off. Many words have been said in anger, only to find deep regret that you said those hurtful things. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1 tells us, Proverbs 15, verse 1, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. My friends, it is within your right to reply, but make sure your answer comes at the right time when you're not angry. A good rule is to wait until the next morning after a good night's rest or wait a day before you respond. There is wisdom in responding with a clear head. As someone once wrote, remember, an insult is like mud. What dangerous fires of hatred are kindled by words spoken in haste. That's why taking time to think about what we should say is so important. Restraint can bring peace to many an ugly situation, as is illustrated by the story. An old Englishman known as Pastor Graham in his village was greatly loved because of his positive influence. One day, an angry young man who had just been badly insulted came to see Pastor Graham. As he explained the situation, he said he was on his way to demand an apology from the one who had wronged him. My dear boy, Pastor Graham said, take a word of advice from an old man who loves peace. An insult is like mud. It will brush off better when it is dry. Wait a little till he and you are both cool and the problem will be easily solved. If you go now, you will only quarrel. The young man heeded the wise advice and soon he was able to go to the other person and resolve the issue. How often the tongue pours fuel on a fire that would go out if left alone. King Solomon said, Do not be rash with your mouth, let your words be few, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 2. And hymn writer William Longstaff put it well when he notes, Take time to be holy, be calm in thy soul, each thought and each motive beneath his control. Perhaps you have a problem with someone and have decided to tell him off. Why not wait? It's easier to brush off mud when it's dry. And pray for the one who offended you. It may dry the mud a little faster. An insult is like mud. Plus, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13 reminds us that waiting to make sure you get all of the answers and hear both sides of the story before you respond and take a stance is wise. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13. He who answers the matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. How many times, my friends, have you jumped to the wrong conclusion or taken the wrong side in haste? How many times do you not have all of the information and reprimand too quickly 
only for you to have to take it back and apologize because you reprimanded the wrong person, the wrong child. Make sure you give people the benefit of the doubt. You may want to tell off someone because you think you were slighted or ignored. But wait before you do so. Wait before you angrily confront because you may not have the whole story. Perhaps they simply didn't see you. Perhaps they had something else on their minds. Or perhaps they were focused elsewhere. Perhaps they were having a bad day or grieving something. Find out first before you speak angrily. Again, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 15 reminds us. Proverbs 25, verse 15. By long forbearance, a ruler is persuaded, and a gentle tongue breaks a bone. A calm and patient speech at the right time will diffuse a tense situation and allow you to win the day. We see this in the approach of Abigail in dealing with King David in 1 Samuel chapter 25, where she humbly and reasonably spoke to David, unlike her husband, Nabal. You can't control others and how they will react, but you can control how you will react and respond. As Proverbs 21 verse 23 affirms, Proverbs 21 verse 23, Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. A mouth that is controlled to know what to say when or even to keep silent will keep you from lots of problems and troubles. Speaking of keeping silent, there are times when a wise person knows when to shut up and not say anything. One of my favorite Proverbs is found in Proverbs 27 verse 14. Proverbs 27 verse 14. He who blesses his friend with a loud voice Rising early in the morning, it will be counted a curse to him. It means, even if you have great news to tell or have a wonderful song to sing, to call up a person at 4 o'clock in the morning to tell them the news or singing your amazing cover to BTS at 3 a.m. in the morning will not be appreciated and in fact, you will be cursed perhaps for doing it. There are times we should just keep our mouth shut. Now, putting all of these Proverbs together, we have our third biblical principle, use of words, number three. The timing of our words should be carefully considered and controlled. The timing of our words should be carefully considered and controlled. It is important to think before you speak, and until you have the right words to say, then don't say it. When in doubt about the timing and the appropriateness, don't speak it. Better just to keep silent. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 23. Proverbs 15, 23. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. Again, a word spoken at the right moment is a wonderful thing. Conversely, a word spoken at the wrong time can be a disaster. Finally, the Bible tells us that what comes out of our mouth is a good gauge or a true reflection of our heart's Jesus said it himself in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Luke chapter 6, verse 45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. My friends, are the words we speak and write edifying and Christ-centered? Do we bless others with our words? Or does it reflect the selfishness of our hearts? Look what Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11 says about this. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11. 
The mouth of the righteous is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. Also, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 2 says this, A man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth, but the soul of the unfaithful feeds on violence. Throughout the Scriptures, we see that a person's good words, reflecting his heart for God, results in wonderful things. Like when the Apostle Peter, Stephen, Paul, shared the Gospel because of the passions of their heart for Jesus, and many came to know Jesus and were saved. But in contrast, we see the ugly speech of King Rehoboam that reflected a selfish and prideful heart in 1 Kings chapter 12 that split a nation and resulted in violent rebellion. My friends, as we seek to control our words, we need to first examine our hearts to make sure it is in the right place. And this is our fourth biblical principle, use of words number four. Our words reflect our heart. Is it Christ-centered and edifying? Our words reflect our heart. Is it Christ-centered and edifying? My friends, examine your hearts to examine your words. Is it Christ-centered and does it seek to edify? How long ago has it been since you last blessed others with your words? How recently did you hurt or wound someone with your words? And during those times of healing and hurting with words, were you walking closely with Christ in your spiritual journey? I recently heard the story about a guy in the U.S. who often visited a local Starbucks. One day as he was waiting for his coffee, he was asking himself how he could give back to the employees at that store. When a barista handed him his coffee, he asked the question, How can I ask God to bless you today? The guy was taken aback. No one had ever asked him that question before. As he visited that Starbucks day after day, he would ask various employees that question, how can I ask God to bless you today? Slowly, the employees started to warm up to him and his question. They would come over and talk to him and open up their lives to him. He had such a positive response that one night, he shared what he was doing with a small group. And so all of them started doing the same thing. And soon, every Starbucks within that town knew about it. One day, this man was on a business trip to a city in a different state and decided to go to a Starbucks. He asked the very same question to the barista who brought him his coffee. How can I ask God to bless you today? And the woman was shocked. She pulled back the coffee and asked, Are you one of those blessing people I heard about? The word had spread even to another state. The barista's question is a good one. Are you one of those blessing people? Yes. We are a blessing people who seek to bless others in word and action, planting seeds for the kingdom of God and being the salt and light Jesus told us to be. God wants us to be a blessing through our words. My friends, speak loudly your blessings to others from Christ so that the world can hear clearly. Now let me close with a proverb found in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 28. Proverbs 15, 28 says, The heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. This proverb tells us that a person who is spirit-filled and Christ-centered will be careful with his words as he studies how to respond because he knows that the power of our words is such that it can hurt or heal. He knows that the content of our words should be truthful 
expressed in love and with grace. He knows that the timing of our words should be carefully considered and controlled. And he knows that our words reflect our heart and examines himself to see if his words are Christ-centered and edifying. My friends, may the Lord grant wisdom and discernment when responding with words, written or spoken. And may our words always bless, edify, and reflect Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these wonderful lessons. Help us first to examine our hearts to make sure we are walking in a right relationship with you. And out of the abundance of our intimate walk with you, the words out of our mouth will be edifying, will encourage. And if there is to be correction and rebuke, may it be always be seasoned with love and grace. Father, we desire that our spoken and written words reflect you so that the world will see that we are followers of Jesus Christ. Help us to understand that we have within our words the power to hurt or to heal, to encourage or to discourage. Help us desire to heal and to encourage, to bless others, to encourage, to edify. May our lives indeed reflect you through our words and actions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.